programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Wasserman Festival, presenting pianists from the Tchaikovsky and Van Cliburn International Piano Competitions in concert on March 6th, 20th, and 21st at 7.30 p.m. in the USU Performance Hall. More information at usu.edu slash Wasserman. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Before we jump into today's program, some unfinished business from yesterday's program. You'll recall that we uh, uh, revisited our interview with Rich Cohen, who wrote a National Geographic Magazine's August 2013 cover story titled Sugar Love, a Not-So-Sweet Story. Interesting uh, look back at the history of sugar and uh, its effects on health today. And we received this email from Lori, who says, Tell me about the sugar substitute dextrose. I ate lots of Smarties, maybe not so smart. Uh, says Laurie. So we will uh, post that on our website and uh, see what comments we get in response to that. I uh, will uh, uh, mention to Laurie and the rest of you, and uh, if you heard the interview, by the way, you can hear that later today. We'll have the audio up for that interview later today. Uh, Rich Cohen, uh, his memoir is titled Sweet and Low, and uh, that's because his uh, grandfather, Benjamin Eisenstadt, a short-order cook, invented the sugar packet Sweet and Low, primarily for diabetics. Sweet and low is initially used in hospitals, allowed diabetics to enjoy a little added sweetness to a cup of tea, etc. And at some points, there were uh, there were runs on those little packets of, of sweet and low. Those would be stolen. There are some problems, of course, with sugar substitutes. Anyway, uh, that is uh, will be up on our website about sugar. We have with us today Ed Casilia. He's taken readers into the home of a family victimized by the nuclear fallout from the Cold War-era nuclear blasts in the Nevada test site in Downwinters, the play. Open the doors to frightening secrets locked away within a Mormon polygamist called in Pligs. And now walks you backstage to hang out with some of the biggest stars in rock and roll history in It Rocked, Recollections of a Reclusive Rock Critic. The book includes intimate looks at such musical giants as George Harrison, Mick Jagger, Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, The Beach Boys, Peter Frampton, Kiss. The list goes on and on. Uh, Ed Casilia, you'll recognize uh, him from his uh, weekly conversations with Kerry uh, Bringhurst on Morning Edition when he was a city editor with the Spectrum newspaper in St. George. He's an acclaimed writer. His work has bridged many aspects of the media world, uh, won numerous awards, and uh, he has worked for such diverse publications as the Los Angeles Times, Los Angeles Herald-Examiner, U.S. Uh, or Us Magazine, and Gold, the magazine of the National Hockey League. Ed Casilia, welcome back to uh, Utah Public Radio. Well, it's nice to be back home, Tom. How are you? Oh, doing well. We uh, we miss uh, speaking to you weekly, so it's uh, it's good to have you back on with with this book. Well, it feels good to be back here. So you you've had a, a pretty diverse uh, career, and I hadn't been familiar with some of this uh, in your background. Um, uh, sports writer, I think, and rock critic, and uh, I guess what you call a straight newspaper man. Yeah, um, it's it's been it, it's been a lovely career. It's been a lot of fun doing a, a bunch of different kinds of things, and you know um, that that's one of the nice things about working in the media, as you all know, is that you get to do <clears throat> a variety of things. You never know what's going to pop up and what's going to what, what where it's going to lead you next. So I started out as a as a sports writer, and and uh, you know had a great time doing all of that, and. You know, naturally, during the time when when I was breaking into the business, and there there were a lot of great bands and music was what kind of paced us all, and and the opportunity came to to move over from sports to to the entertainment department at the Herald Examiner, and and I jumped at it. 
By the way, the the Herald Examiner at the time, I don't even know if it's still running, uh, but uh, it, it was definitely number two. You called the Times the whale, I think. We called the Times the whale. They had they had uh, the big well the big circulation in town. Yeah, the Examiner uh, finally bit the dust um, back somewhere in the eighties. I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. Uh, it 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 just kind of had a had a problem from from years before there were some labor disputes and some some things that occurred and and uh, it never never regained its its circulation and uh, eventually just kind of went away but boy it was sure a fun place to work and uh, in the meantime this afforded you you'd grown up loving music with uh, with I, I guess this would be a dream job oh it, it absolutely was I mean I was just a tiny little guy when when Elvis Presley first broke you know I mean I was little bitty guy and for some reason, I just thought, oh, wow, you know, this guy's cool and, and was a big Elvis fan. I mean, I can remember the day when, when my parents took me, I was I was so young, um, to see his, his first movie, Love Me Tender. And at the very end where he died, I, I cried because I thought it was for real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so you were pretty young. In fact, your uh, parents got you a Mickey Mouse Club guitar. You You wanted a guitar. <laughs> I wanted a guitar, um, and they they got me this plastic thing, this this untunable four string Mickey Mouse guitar that had a Mickey Mouse Club sticker on the front, and it was kind of shaped like the guitar that Jimmy Dodd, the the boss Mouseketeer, played on the TV show. Well, there, first of all, there were no there was no book to tell you how to play it, and second, I immediately peeled off the Mickey Mouse Club decal. <laughs> stand in front of the TV, plucking these little plastic strings, pretending to be Elvis Presley as like just a little bitty guy. And it was, it was like, okay, this is, this is crazy, but it was fun. It was, you know, it was how, how we mimicked him. I mean, and, and it was so powerful. I mean, I, you know, he touched so many, so many souls and minds. I mean, from, from his earliest music on, but it, it was great. I was, I was hooked. I was hooked from that point on. And you you write that uh, for you the day the music died was March twenty fourth nineteen fifty eight. Why is that? Well, that's when that's when Elvis was uh, inducted into the U.S. Army, and you know um, I was I was six six and a half years old, and I'd been listening to Hound Dog and Love Me Tender and Don't Be Cruel and All Shook Up and all of that sort of thing, and I really liked it. I was oh this is really good, really good, like it, like it, like it, and all of a sudden. He went in the army, and he was gone. And um, it's like, okay, well, what are we going to listen to now? You know, and and we had Frankie Avalon, and we had Bobby this and Frankie that, and whoever, and and it all started sounding the same. And you know, I was like, hey, wait a minute, something something's going on here. This just isn't this just isn't right. This isn't the Elvis Presley stuff that that I used to listen to. And um, my cousins and I were big, big music fans, and, and uh, you know, we, we got to talking about, gee, you know, there's just nothing to listen to anymore. We don't like this stuff. You know, Pat Boone might be a really nice guy, but, man, this is just not, this isn't rock and roll. And we discovered that, because um, I was living, I was, I was in St. Louis, Missouri at the time, we discovered that when the sun went down, that radio stations out of Chicago and Memphis would boost up their, their signals. Well, we'd sit up with these little things that we called transistor radios late at night and try and dial in whatever stations we could come in on, you know, and and uh, we 
we discovered these stations in, in Chicago and Memphis, and, and all of a sudden there was another world that opened up because we were hearing um, Little Richard, and we were hearing Chuck Berry, and we were hearing um, Jerry Lee Lewis, because in St. Louis they weren't really playing those guys. Chuck was in jail for 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 some violations, and Jerry Lee kind of had been discovered that he was married to a cousin, and Little Richard was Little Richard, and they didn't play their, their music. So we went discovering... And you know the other the other kind of interesting thing was that, um, particularly listening to the stations out of Chicago, um, all of a sudden we started hearing things like Muddy Waters and the Howlin' Wolf, you know, and 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 John Lee Hooker, and and for a six year old kid to suddenly be exposed to the blues and and some of that real gritty powerful stuff was like whoa, and we would we we you know we're six seven-year-old kids and my cousins and I and were talking about, yeah, well, there's this guy named Muddy Waters and he's really neat and, oh, wow. So I I was really fortunate to, to have done that because it gave me a heck of a broad background. So when the when the British invasion came along and the Beatles and, then the, you know, all of the, the blues-influenced stuff started, started hitting the United States, um, I, I was kind of lucky and had a little bit of a jump on some of that. That was the foundation, wasn't it? In addition to the British invasion, which is uh, you know British kids hearing this stuff and then interpreting it how how they would. There were uh, people like Pat Boone who were uh, sort of making this palatable to a, a larger, wide audience, I suppose. Yeah, um, you know uh, the the thing is, is that you know we we I can remember hearing um, from the other stations um, Little Richard's version of Tutti Frutti, and then. The local station did Pat, Bur- Pat Boone's version of it, and um, someday slip those both on back to back and listen to the differences. There's, there's there's quite a difference in it, you know. But but when the English bands came from um, from from across the sea and, and started playing some of that blues-based stuff, you know, bands like Cream and um, even you know subsequently Led Zeppelin. I mean, the Animals for crying out loud. Uh, Playing this this powerful bluesy rootsier type stuff, um, you know they they actually seemed in some ways to, to to capture an awful lot of that and put. Of course, there was their spin and their interpretation, but but they they really captured a lot of that essence, you know. And and so it was a marvelous time to be listening. You know, you you, you had the Beatles doing this innovative stuff, and you had the Stones. You know, taking everything Chuck Berry did and turning it inside out and re- reinventing it, and you had, you had the animals doing the scorching blues stuff that was just so powerful, so strong, and so compelling. It was a wonderful time to be uh, to be a music fan. Tell me about uh, you have this. <laughs> in fact, it's the first chapter. You talk about the animals, <clears throat> a concert you yeah. went to, um, and uh, and. You have uh, some some uh, young people from uh, Britain, who you point out it's it's authentic. Their feelings are very authentic. They uh, they've lived hard scrabble lives. They've lived through the Blitz, uh, World War Two. They're trying to present some uh, you know some 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 tremendous some some real blues. And you've got screaming girls who are I guess just uh, just looking at the celebrity side of this. And that's a dynamic I guess that plays out maybe still to this day. Well, um, you know, it, it was it was very strange uh, going to the very first real concert thing that I ever went to. Um, it was it was the Animals, and 
you know, back in those days, um, all of the bands were, were greeted with screaming girls. It kind of happened that way. I'm not quite sure exactly what the social or cultural dynamic was behind it all, you know, but um, it was this, this giant release, this screaming fandom, this, this hysteria thing. There was Beatlemania and Dave Clark Five Mania and Rolling Stones Mania, and all, you know, it was all of that sort of thing. And, and um, you know, here you had these, these guys, particularly in the case of the Animals, who, the band was a very, very uh, deep uh, student of, of the early blues, you know. Um, House of the Rising Sun was, was basically an old blues folk uh, standard, and, you know, they took it and turned it around and created the, the incredible song that they did. And and they were playing this stuff with a very serious attitude in mind, and and they they almost looked a little bewildered, to be honest with you. You know, they're they're playing and and they're chugging this music out, and it's soulful and it's and it's gut wrenching and it's powerful because you know they they came from 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 going to school, living in in a tattered you know, England that had been had been bombed and, and there were craters and, and burned up, crashed up, exploded buildings on their on their route to school every day because it still hadn't been rebuilt. And so they, they were struggling out of all of that and and, and that, that kind of translated into the music, you know, this sort of um, desperation, if you will. Um, we're going to make it out. We're going to grow. We're going to be successful. We're going to escape the the the, the problems of, of not having money and and living in a in a place that's torn up and they're they're being so soulful so dedicated to their craft and all of these girls are screaming and they they did they did in fact look rather bewildered you know and and um as they're trying to present the music that was important to them it it well of course it eventually turned off the beatles from touring you know, um, they they would be on stage and and uh, count down a song, and and the, the the reason that they sounded as good as they did on stage, and I did see them in '66 at Dodger Stadium, and was lucky enough to have a seat close enough to where I could actually hear them. They they played very well, um, but they couldn't hear themselves. There were no stage monitors. They were playing through those big PA systems that are in the ballparks. And you know, if you if you've watched like the World Series games and seen somebody try to sing the anthem where they've got they're singing the words and two seconds later the words are coming out through the speaker, that was a pretty difficult task. And the sound systems and things just weren't capable of of, of providing them with with the, uh, the the ability to hear what they were doing. Uh, it was a miracle that they could that they could start and end a song together. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're talking with Ed Casilia today. He, his latest book is It Rocked, Recollections of a Reclusive Rock Critic. Ed Casilia, uh, for several years, was a rock critic for the Los Angeles Herald-Examiner. He's been a sports writer. He's been a newsman. And uh, you're familiar with him uh, from his days at the uh, Spectrum in St. George, where he appeared on the UPR uh, Weekly with the reports from Southern Utah. We're talking about his career in the rock and roll. A very interesting memoir. We'll get into talking about uh, live versus recorded music. Um, and uh, Ed Casilia has a what I'd call a heretical opinion about uh, Led Zeppelin. We'll get into that. Uh, we, uh, we'll get into some uh, very interesting, bizarre stories as well. <laughs> interesting to have you 
uh, tell about your interviews with Gordon Lightfoot and Olivia Newton-John for Gold, the magazine of the National Hockey League. Uh, more coming up following a break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU's Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services. Ranked in the top 2% of graduate schools of education with degrees that include communicative disorders and deaf education. More is at cehs.usu.edu. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. Eat your fruits and veggies. You've likely heard this statement since childhood. However, research shows that it is good advice. Fresh produce is loaded with natural compounds that protect our bodies from disease. I'm talking about hundreds of compounds called antioxidants and phytochemicals that reduce inflammation in our bodies and improve our immunity. Fruits and veggies are low in calories, which is great for weight control, but they're big in volume, so they fill you up and satisfy hunger. Instead of telling yourself to eat less food, eat more food, eat more of the right food. Slice an apple on your oatmeal, grab a banana for a snack, and start your dinner with a colorful salad. Fill half your plate with fresh fruits and veggies, and you'll be a winner for life. Be well, Utah. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest today is our old friend Ed Casilia, who's uh, written uh, several books. Um, uh, we've heard him on uh, this program on uh, plagues, his uh, um, opening the door behind the uh, frightening secrets locked away within the fundamentalist uh, por- Mormon polygamous cult. He's written a play, Downwinders the Play. He's written for such diverse publications as Us Magazine and uh, the Los Angeles Times, Los Angeles Herald Examiner. That's where he was rock critic. That's the foundation for his latest book, very interesting, behind-the-scenes book, It Rocked. It's called Recollections of a Reclusive Rock Critic. Ed Casilli has been city editor for the Spectrum uh, newspaper in St. George. He's also written for uh, Goal, the magazine of the National Hockey League. Ed Casilia, a career like this, I guess, would lead you in some interesting directions. That is certainly true. Uh, I couldn't have predicted this, though, interviewing Gordon Lightfoot for the magazine of the National Hockey League. Tell me about that. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I was the, the beat writer for the uh, examiner covering the L.A. Kings uh, hockey team. And um, Goal Magazine is the magazine that they sell in, in the uh, arenas around country and in Canada, you know, when you go to a game and you buy your program, that's the magazine that you get. And they always have all kinds of content in there where they talk to, you know, different uh, people associated with the game. Well, being located in L.A., you know, we had a lot of people that came and went through there who were not exactly um, hockey players or executives or whatever. We had celebrities. I mean, it's it's a very common thing to run into celebrities. You know, we had Jack Nicholson, who was a big Laker fan. Well, we would have the Eagles showing up to to watch the, the L.A. Kings play, you know, uh, particularly Glenn Fry, big hockey fan. And uh, Gordon Lightfoot, coming from Canada um, and and spending most of his time in the, in the Toronto area and, 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 and whatever, was a huge, huge hockey fan. He was friends with a, one of the broadcasters uh, who was a pretty legendary a guy named Jiggs McDonald who had worked with the Kings and 
the Flames and, and other teams and whatever. And uh, so anyway, he was he was a huge huge hockey fan, and so they they got in touch with me and said, hey, you know, let's let's see if we can get something a little different in the magazine. So. Um, you know, we understand Gordon Lightfoot comes through town quite frequently, and okay, fine. And Alan Thick, who um, was the TV uh, star from um, Growing Pains, I guess the show was, uh, was very close friends with Gordon, and he kind of pulled things to. He was also, and still is, I guess, a, a huge hockey fan. He helped us pull this thing together. So Gordon is getting ready to perform at the Hollywood Bowl, and uh, so that's where we were going to go do the interview, you know, we go over to, go over to the ball and go backstage and walk in and, and, um, here's Gordon kind of, kind of how I sort of expected. He's, he's sitting there with, with a guitar in hand and, you know, just kind of warming up and playing some stuff. And, uh, next to him was the largest bottle of whiskey I think I've ever seen in my life. And just, chugging straight from the bottle I, I i honestly have no idea how he was able to walk out on stage let alone perform but he he did a, an incredible show you know um so i guess it worked okay for him i don't know and and he seemed fairly coherent in doing the interview but he, he was he was actually quite knowledgeable about the game and a big fan and and uh it was interesting and fun to talk to him but um like I said, I was I was amazed that he was able to, to to make it out onto the stage in front of the lights and even remember the words. We're talking with Ed Casilia, whose uh, latest book is It Rocked, Recollections of a Reclusive Rock Critic. Ed Casilia, for several years, was a rock critic for the Los Angeles Herald-Examiner. And uh, you name it in the rock world, he's uh, probably met them, uh, written about them, struck up friendships with, with some, including uh, George Harrison. We'll get talking about that. Who, that was gratifying at Cusilia because that was your favorite Beatle. Um, let me read this uh, just a, a bit from from the book. Have you talk about the the lifestyle, and you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. That's the uh, I guess that's the stereotype. This is what you write. I've seen a limo stripped of door handles, chrome mirrors. I've been pinned against the stage on the wrong side of a surging crowd. I've dodged projectile vomiting and seen kids laid out cold by chemical concoctions of booze and pills that had far greater effect than sharpening the senses before a concert. And as an occasional barroom guitar player, I've seen my share of guys getting punched out and women flashing the band. But hey, it's rock and roll. Uh, I guess the, <laughs> it's a stereotype that's true, right? It's, it's a hard life. It's a it's a very hard life. You know, um, one, of, one of the things uh, the former member of Fleetwood Mac, Bob Welch, once told me, um, delightful man. Uh, he said, you know, we, we don't get paid for performing. We do that because we really enjoy it. It's what we do. It's what we love to do. We love to play music and sing. He said, we get paid for traveling. We get paid to go from place A to place B. You know, that's what we get paid to do. Um, it, it's it's a hard life. I mean, they they live on buses. You know, I mean, even even the big guys go around these days, and they're they're touring on tour buses, uh, unless you're the Stones and you can afford your own chartered jet or Zeppelin or whoever. You know, and 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 um, it's it's uh, you're you're a gypsy, you're a troubadour, you're moving from town to town. You know, and um, the the it's a very insular existence. You know, um, people think that that. Um, being on tour is this incredibly great thing. What they don't really realize is that they see 
they see the world from a bus window. Um, they see the inside of a Holiday Inn, and they see the the underside of a big hockey arena where they're preparing to go on stage. And that's that's what a lot of the existence is. It's it's you know city to city and sometimes not really even realizing where where you are when when you're touring like that you know and especially the younger guys who are who are doing you know one nighters you know back to back one nighters um it's a pretty hard existence and um so it it's 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 tough and and it's it creates this world uh where the band has to really really get along because the only people that are constant in in that life are the band you know you're you're with them on the road you're with them in the studio you're with them in the rehearsal hall and uh, you know that's that's where a lot of bands end up breaking up because it's just 24/7 and the stresses and the pressures of putting out product and writing songs and working in the studio um, can can get pretty 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 intense so it's it's a hard harsh life you know the, the rewards yeah you can you can make a lot of money um, most don't uh, but it's a it's a it's a tough way to make a living and uh, so I guess this is where a lot of guys turn to a little little help maybe that's where the drugs and alcohol come in well you know uh, imagine that you're you're on a bus for eight hours a day okay they're not the, particularly the ones most bands go out on, they're not quite as, as elaborate and nice as, as Willie Nelson's, you know, bus. The, the Honeysuckle Rose is a pretty neat bus. Most of the other ones don't have a whole lot of room in there, and you're sleeping in in somewhat of a cot, you know, that's that's uh, got two of them stacked over each other, you know, like bunk beds along the side of a bus. Um, and you're rolling down a highway, and it's bumpy, and it's moving, and it's noisy. And so sleeping's not a really easy thing to do as you're traveling from town to town. You get to town, get get something to eat, and of course you have to take care of things like getting clothes washed. And you, you know, you you get get a meal, and then you get to to the arena, and you do a sound check. Sometimes they don't even stay at a hotel in in the town they're performing in. They hit town, get to the arena. You know, uh, do do the sound check, get something to eat, do the show, and as soon as it's over, pack it up and head to the next town. Um, sleeping is a premium, um, you know, boredom. Um, so yeah, it it can lead to a lot of things. You know, um, what 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 more do they do? They play guitars and find a way to escape from the tedium. Hmm. In fact, you uh, you takes behind the scenes with the Rolling Stones. I was interested that uh, the definition of clean is different than we would use. Keith Richards at the time described himself as clean, which uh, which you describe as as that meant he wasn't mainlining heroin, but he probably yeah, was using some other drugs. Yeah, you know, at at the time I can remember it was the uh, Miss You tour, and uh, Keith had been into some mischief in Toronto, as we all recall, and. Um, was possibly facing a lengthy jail term, you know, and, and he went in and got the cure and, and um, you know, was able to, to quit his heroin use. But, um, you know, along that tour, he and Ronnie Wood used to have bets as to, his, you know, the other guitar player in the Stones, 
would have bets as to who could stay up uh, the longest and, and uh, you know, putting down $10,000 to see who could stay up the longest. And usually uh, it ended up being chemically influenced, and, and but they were still clean because they weren't doing heroin. You know, they may have, they may have done, um, oh, you know, a couple of grams of, of cocaine a day to, to stay up and to keep going, but they were clean as far as as far as uh, the hard drug use was concerned, you know, and and uh, it, it created a lot of problems for a lot of a lot of artists along the way, you know. Um, became the glamour thing. The, the cocaine usage at one point was just so tremendous in rock and roll that you know there they were there were plastic surgeons in, in Hollywood and Beverly Hills that specialized in in cauterizing or or placing these little um, tubes within within their their nostrils because they'd burnt holes through the cartilage in there from from so much abuse. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, um, Eric Clapton was clean from heroin, but he was a hopeless drunk. You know, um, smoking pot is like no, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even considered doing a drug. Um, you know, within the rock and roll circles, it's just kind of a uh, a morning wake up or whatever, and uh, you know it. So it, the, the definitions and the, the 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 lifestyle are sort of foreign to what you know what would be considered standard everyday uh, existence. You just joined us. We're talking with Ed Casilia, who you'll recognize from weekly conversations on Morning Edition, while he was working city editor with the Spectrum newspaper in St. George. Uh, he has a, a long career as a, a rock critic, and uh, before that as a sports writer. And uh, it's uh, that middle uh, pair that he is uh, treating in the latest book. It's uh, called It Rocked, Recollections of a Reclusive Rock Critic. And uh, you named them, famous uh, rock acts. Uh, Ed Casilia has uh, probably met them and written about them. And uh, he uh, uh, gives us behind-the-scenes look at uh, many of these bands. Uh, in the book. If you'd like to join the conversation, uh, guide the conversation to your favorite uh, rock act, we'd uh, love to uh, do that. Your question or comment to 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on our uh, email at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com as, as well. Uh, Ed Casilli, I guess there are a lot of different reasons why people, uh, you know, get, get into this lifestyle, which we have described as a, as a pretty hard, hard lifestyle. There are some some benefits, of course. Uh, I suppose some get into the for the music. Uh, some I, I want the money and the fame. Uh, what what are some of the reasons that you you've seen? So sort of some themes. You've met a lot of these artists. Yeah, <clears throat> good question, Tom. Um, you know. Basically, I think I think the primary reason is um, when when the music hits you and it strikes you in a certain way, uh, it it has this resounding effect. It it touches your your heart and your soul, and it it, it prompts moods. It it can lift your spirits. It can make you introspective. It can do a lot of things to you. It can. You know, it, 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 there's a reason they call music, you know, the soundtrack of your of your life. Um, basically, it's from what I gather, most of these guys at heart. You know, yeah, there's the money and and there's 
there's the fame and there's the adulation and the groupies and the traveling in limos and all of that. that that's, a, that's a part of it, but I think most of them consider that as kind of perks of the job, if you will. Um, I, I think the, the, the key thing that I, I took away from most of the, shall we say, serious musicians is the fact that they love making music and the the feeling, the, the response of being on a stage, whether it's a club, whether it's a hockey arena, or whether it's a giant football or soccer stadium, and seeing people up and dancing and enjoying what they are doing, I think that is the greatest motivator. You know, there's there's a lot said about, you hear an artist on the stage say, they're 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 getting the energy from the audience. They're they're picking up the vibe from the crowd, and you, you know that there's there's a lot of truth to that. You you can you can see the crowd interaction between performers and 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 the audience. Uh, Springsteen was incredible with that. I mean, he would he feeds off of his audience, and and they they energize each other, and they react to each other, and it enhances his performance his emotions it makes the audience as as those rise it makes the audience more emotional and into the music and it just it's just this interchange of 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 emotions and feelings and and it's just it's it's what they get out of it like i said bob waltz said we don't get paid to play you know we do that because we love to play um they get paid to travel, so it's that moment on stage. If if you hear most of them talk, it's they they say it's that moment on stage, however long it is, that makes it all worthwhile. We're talking with Ed Casilia, whose latest book is "It Rocked: Recollections of a Reclusive Rock Critic." We'll talk uh, when we come back from a break about George Harrison. A very interesting story about uh, how Ed Casilia and George Harrison met, um, and recorded versus live music. Ed Casilia fell in love with the, with the live experience, the uh, bass guitar thumping off your chest, as, as it were. And uh, we'll talk about some of the great live bands versus maybe some of the, the, the bands who are better recorded. Um, if you have a question or comment, you're welcome to uh, join us. Ed Casilia, for several years, was rock critic for the Los Angeles Herald Examiner. And uh, he uh, includes in this book uh, George Harrison, Mick Jagger, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Willie Nelson, Carlos Santana, Dick Clark, uh, Peter Frampton, the list goes on and on. I'd love to get your question or comment at 1-800-826-1495, or you can join us at upraxis at gmail.com. More with Ed Casilia after the break. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto-Casper. This week we learn about the chickenization of the corporate meat industry with journalist Christopher Leonard, author of The Meat Racket. The Stearns track down the best in regional soups, and we look at what 400 years of Portuguese influence has done to the food of Macau. That's The Splendid Table from APM. Coming up today, right after Access Utah at 10 o'clock. And programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3, offering 100% whole grain raisin, oatmeal date, and millet breads. <laughs> 